Can I get a oh yeah? Welcome to Podcast My Brand, where we help you launch your branded podcast, get better at the craft of podcasting, grow your audience, and make cash from your show. I'm your host, Elsie, the mayor of Podcast Town. Let's get to it. We help you launch, grow, and maximize. All righty. So a little bit of history on this, guys, before we get into the conversation. I started Podcast My Brand selfishly because I love learning from other podcasters and people who are in the podcast industry. And I love talking shop. I love talking headphones, microphones, boards, and Rodecaster Pro 1 versus Rodecaster Pro 2, all that good stuff. And so I was like, I need to be talking to other people who get it. And so did it for a while, but I was doing too many podcasts. I was doing lots of shows. One of them had to go. And unfortunately, it was podcast my brain, but decided that I need that in my life. I need to talk with other podcast heads. And so we're bringing it back, but we're not bringing it back as a traditional podcast. It's more of a video series where I'm going to be talking shop with people who are crazy like me. So one of those people, Maddie, (laughs) is with me. Maddie, how are you today? I'm great, man. Uh, Nice, beautiful day here in Los Angeles. Can't beat it. Got it. So don't rub it in too bad, Maddie. But here in Wisconsin, I think we're going to get into the low mid 50s. So but it could be worse. It could be snowing. I mean, yeah, 50s. Come on. It's not that's not too bad. (laughs) Of course, uh, my, my wife makes fun of me because when it's like 60, I turned the heat on in our house now. And she's like, didn't you grow up in the mountains in West Virginia? And like, I'm like, I did, but I've gone soft. (laughs) So growing up in the mountains of West Virginia, how how did you get into podcasting? So I got into radio when I was 16. I was one of those kids that's like obsessed with radio. I I lived on like for a time period, my parents moved to a cabin, uh, a farmhouse up in the mountains that had no electricity or plumbing for like a year. And radio became my best friend. And my mom listened to a lot of radio. And I was like the kid that called the station all the time and, and asked for requests and would change my name and stuff so I could call like 10 times for the same song. Later becoming a DJ, knowing they knew it was me every time. And then when I turned 16, I went to my local station and said, hey, I'll do anything. They gave me a job board opping Sunday mornings, uh, Frank Sinatra. It was this show that came in on albums. And all I had to do was put the needle down and say the weather once an hour. My very first day on the air, the owner of the station showed me and you know, finally was my time to do it. And I put the needle down, it scratched. I yelled shit into the mic three times and he came in and I froze. And then he came in and he put the mic off and he took the thing down and he left and he came back later and he said, what, what was the first thing I did? I said, you turned the mic off. He goes, okay, that's your lesson for today. And I always tell that story because like he could have fired. I mean, there's so many ways I could have gone, but instead of like, he made it a teaching moment. And eventually after like a few months, back then you had to turn the radio stations on and off at like, this was like 89. So somebody didn't show up at our rock station at 6 a.m. And so I ended up, you know, jockeying that morning and then I guess did a good enough job that they kept me. And then in college, I tried out for the college radio station and did not get accepted. And then the local big rock station was like the biggest rock station in the state hired me to do weekends. And I paid my way through school was a DJ until I was about 25 and then sent an intern to DC. And they'd started this new station, WJFK, which was Howard Stern in the morning and then G. Gordon Liddy and Donna Mike. It was the first FM talk station. Talked my way into becoming G. Gordon Liddy's executive producer, even though I'd 
had no business being a producer. I was good with him. I got him to do stuff that other people couldn't. And then they gave me morning show in New York City, built one up there and then ended up in San Francisco at Alice Radio, where I had a very, very successful show for about six years. Uh, mornings, but I got the startup bug. Everybody was doing startups and these guys had started this company called Stitcher. And I didn't know what a podcast was. This was like 2007, 2008. I didn't know what a podcast was, but I knew that the kind of radio I liked to do was going away. And that if I was going to continue doing what I like to do, it was going to be through podcasting. And I also wanted to learn business and like just stuff. When you're a DJ your whole life and have a creative writing degree, you don't learn. So I joined the startup team. There was four of us. I was the fourth employee there, first director of content. We built that up. And then, you know, it was more of a tech company then, but I built out all the content and everything on that side. Eventually I left to go work for Kevin Smith in LA for a couple of years, which didn't work out the way we thought it would. And I ended up started the teaching because there was no way to make money in podcasting back then. It was really hard advertising. I mean, the most you could get is like a, a blue apron coupon code or something like that. And I'd had a successful podcast that had gotten picked up by Sirius XM called Your Straight Male Friend with my best friend, Marcus. But I saw that like really my strengths and if I wanted to make money in podcasting, it was going to have to be working more on the business side a little bit, but also management. And then six years ago, iHeart called. I'd gotten ba- gone back to school, gotten a digital marketing master's. And somebody, you know, they've been trying to get me to come back to do radio for years. And I was like, oh, I think I'm going to put that behind me. I'm done with that for now. It's not what it used to be. And they gave me the digital program director job for San Francisco and then also on the national team. And I said, let me focus on podcasts in this one market. Let me build out like a podcast network and show what we can do. And we did. We had 40 shows in about three months. And and then I got the nod to become the first VP of podcast programming there and just went around the country and rinse and repeat. And then we ended up with Stuff Media, which was great, and Connell and learned so much. And and then I got startup bug again. And with all the blessings in the world from iHeart, I started Jam Street Media about four years ago. There are days I love it and days I'm like, why am I running my own business? This is dumb. I'm, I'm a creative. I'm not good at this. <laughs> but during that time when I got my master's, I got into branded. And that was with Steve Pratt at Pacific Content was the only person doing branded at the time. I wrote my thesis on branded content podcasts. I reached out to him. I ended up getting a client, Cisco Systems, that just happened to know somebody there and they were my first client. And then, you know, then next thing you know, I'm doing the Federal Reserve Bank and some other branded shows. So I kept that going even when I was at iHeart doing branded because iHeart at the time wasn't interested in it. So that's a very long answer to a short question. (laughs) No, all good stuff. Uh, Let me see. Let's go back to closer to the beginning. You went to the radio station and you said you're willing to do anything. What was it about radio? Uh, Like, how did you get introduced to radio in the first place? Well, I think that growing up in in a rural community, you know, there was not much, you know, to get me music. Like I didn't have MTV or anything like that. I had like three channels on our TV once we got one. And I liked that. And we lived on a mountain where at night I could get radio from all over the country on AM. So I'd listen to like, you know, uh, Chicago and uh, Boston, New York, WNEW, which I ended up working at. I ended up doing mornings there. And that was like, when I got there, I was like, this is the greatest. This is like the greatest station I ever thought of. But I'll tell you, this is actually how I've been radio. Dr. Demento. 
Dr. Demento used to, uh, people that remember Dr. Demento, every Sunday night would do a show and it was all parody songs and stuff. And I was really into comedy. My mom took me to see George Carlin when I was 12. Like, I mean, my mom was really into comedy too and just had no filter for her kids. <laughs> just like, whatever you want to listen to. And I used to do little parody songs and stuff and record myself and do that stuff. And that was really what spurned me into thinking about doing it as like a job. That's cool. So you're one of those people who have been around since radio has began to make this transition into podcasting and and, and taking podcasting more seriously. I remember when podcasting first sort of re-emerged as a medium, there was this friction between traditional radio and podcasting where they didn't really get along too well. Talk about that a little bit and where that is now. It seems that they don't quite have that friction anymore. Talk about that. And what's your experience with that? So when I left, you know, I was a really good executive producer. I was very successful, kind of had that dream career. You start in a little town and end up in New York City and San Francisco. It's like starting off playing A ball and end up playing for the Yankees. And when I left to go to Stitcher, everybody told me I was crazy. And like, what are you doing? This is just the dumbest thing you could do with your career right now. And honestly, for the first six years, I kind of believed them. I'm like, what am I doing? Is this ever going to catch on? There is still a stigma to the, and even at Stitcher, we didn't say the word podcast. On-demand audio is what, what our tagline was. The word podcast was so for, verboten. It was like, Oh, that's so thing. I still meet people and tell them what I do for a living. They're like, people make, you know, they don't understand that it's like, no, it's a, no, it's a medium. We make billion dollars a year. This is a real media. And I have it from time to time too, where, you know, I'll coach or get hired to work with somebody who's never done anything before. And they think they can just pop on a mic and be good at it. When you're in radio, you work your ass off. You only have limited amount of jobs. So yeah, there's a snobbery involved because it was like, Hey, I worked my brains out to get to where I am. You think you're just going to pop a mic into your house and you're going to be famous. And it's still true. Like 99% of people don't make it as a big podcaster, contrary to what a lot of the people who want to sell you shit tell you. And sorry for the language. I'm a salty ex radio person that when we're not on the air, when I'm on the air, I don't curse. But anyway, so yeah, there was that whole thing. And I kept telling people in radio, like, listen, this is going to start ending and you need to start a podcast to keep your brand going. And I can't tell you how many emails I've gotten over the years where people have been like, Matt, I should have listened to you. Maddie, I should have listened to you. Maddie, can you help me now? And I'm like, get a time machine, go back. You should have done it then. You know, you're already out of a job. You have no way to keep your audience going. But that's changed quite a bit. And I think we really drove it at iHeart. We were really the first company to embrace podcasting and and really get our DJs podcasting, which was what I worked on a lot, was getting the morning shows and things to understand. Like, this is an extension of your brand. It's not taking away. And that was the thing. People would thought in radio that like, oh, if they have a podcast, then nobody will listen to the radio show. And that's like saying, hey, I, I don't, you know, I, I'm a... West Virginia Mountaineer fan and 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 I do a show for for West Virginia with some football players and it's like telling me because I can watch a replay of a game I won't watch the live game. No, I always want the live game. Yeah. The replay's nice, you know, later, but that was kind of the thing and you know, we'd seen this with NPR cuz NPR went through this before anybody. NPR started putting out podcasts and their and the affiliate stations like you're going to kill us, you're going to kill us. And it did just the opposite. All of a sudden, kids are listening. You know, my college students, you know, I, I've teach college for the last 12 years. Oh, this American Life's so great. It's a great podcast. I'm like, you know, it's a radio show, right? And they're like, <laughs> nope. 
So they were what I would point back to to anybody. I'm like, their ratings got stronger through podcasting. And I think people understand that now that you've got to have your brand out there in all forms. And it's the same thing with podcasting now with video and everything. It's like, listen, you can't tell people how to consume content. If they want two minute clips on YouTube, then you give them two minute clips on YouTube. It doesn't mean they're not going to listen to the podcast. Two different experiences. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm curious to get your take on the two sides of podcasting, right? There is the pop culture sort of entertainment side of the business, but then there's branded podcasts where I know we do a lot of our work. Explain the difference and why branded podcasts for you? Why did you decide to go that route? Well, for me, they should all have the same thing. Three things, empathy, education, entertainment. You need to connect to an audience. You need to teach them something, but it's got to be entertained. It's got to be something you want to listen to. And I think that's where a lot of brands go wrong. They don't get any coaching. They stick on a somebody who is in marketing and, and they have a very boring conversation. They don't have a conversation. They have an interview. This is why companies hire people like myself and you, or at least they should, is that this is an art and a skill, but you got to make it entertaining. With Brandon, though, there's so many different things you can use them for. In-house, I always tell companies like in-house podcasting is great. You know, people don't want to read memos and they're sick of webinars. Just do a 50-minute podcast with, with one of your people that work for you. And people like to hear people they know. So that's it. The other ones are, especially when the brand wants to get a CEO out there and kind of get their name out there. And again, that's very useful and is great content for all your marketing needs as far as LinkedIn and stuff goes. But at the end of the day, it's got to still be something entertaining and good prepped with good guests and all of that. Right now, podcasting is kind of a shortcut for a brand because they can do a podcast and get video, audio, blogs, all this stuff out of one piece of audio. Like one episode can give you so much content for your year if it's evergreen. And I think that's you know kind of the difference. But I do think that at the end of the day, they should have the same bones. You should feel a brand doing it right. It should feel like a podcast about whatever it is. That happens to be done by the brand and not a, and that was the one thing I'm sure you get all the time where you meet with a client and they're like, they want to do a commercial. And it's like, listen, nobody wants to listen to a commercial. You need to engage with your persona as you would in any marketing thing with your marketing. You're not just selling all the time. And I always tell people, if you're doing a podcast to sell something, it's not the right reason. Mm. Why do you think every single company on the face of the planet doesn't have a podcast? Because it's hard for me to imagine a company that shouldn't have a podcast. Would you agree? And if not, bring me over to to seeing the light. I think every company should, but they need to do them for the right reasons. And I think one of them is some think it's too late for some reason, even though we're still in the silent movie age of podcasting. They think it's expensive or they try to do it in-house And they've done it in-house and it sucked because they did it in-house and they're like, well, it didn't work. It's like, yeah. And, you know, you had an intern do it who had like a, a week of podcast training. The other thing is I don't think that a lot of companies understand that there's more to it than just the audio and all the things you can get out of it. I think when companies are educated on that, like when I would do client calls, that would get a CMO excited because they would say, hey, wow, I didn't realize I got all this content. I'm like, you've got content. You know, I still see content from branded podcasts I did two years ago showing up on LinkedIn feeds, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, they've cut that stuff up. But I I do think that there's a lack of understanding. I mean, and it used to be, I had to have somebody on their staff who liked podcasts. 
like that was always the key. Like, you know, with Cisco or, or Federal Reserve Bank, they like podcasts. They got into podcasts where today pretty much it's ubiquitous. People basically, you know, know what they are and everything, but, but it was harder back then. Cause you know, you'd had half the staff going, I don't even know what this is, but why would we do this? But I do think that it is a valuable tool for any company. And again, done for the right reasons. We had a company that came to us at one point who wanted to do a diversity podcast and looking at their website, it was Lily white. <laughs> and I said in the meeting, I'm like, I'll be honest with you. This would come across a little disingenuous with your brand right now. And oh, the sales guy hated me for that. Cause like he knew the sale was gone. But uh, to me, I, I, you know, it's why I got out of branded. And don't do as much because like I, I don't like to do shows that I don't believe in. But on the brand side, almost all the shows I've done have like I've been able to work with them and do something we really believe in. And I've heard of companies, you know, a lot of companies, you know, just where all of a sudden it's like, oh, we have to do diversity podcasts. We have it's like first of all, create a culture of diversity at your company, then you will have something to talk about in your diversity podcast. Don't do yeah. the diversity podcast to show that you're a diverse company. Yeah. But yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons to do them and reasons to not do them. Mm -hmm. Talk about attribution, um, because one of the things that I find comes up a lot is how do we accurately and effectively measure the result um, and get data from the, the podcast? What insight do you have there? Well, we always talk about paid promotion for branded done the right way. It's got to really be targeted and done the right way. I think there's just too many companies out there right now. They're like, hey, give us $600. We'll get you, you know, 10,000 downloads. You know, there's companies like Mopod that do that, that do it well. You get attribution and other things. And then there's other companies that I won't mention my name, but they, they yeah, you'll get a lot of downloads, but you won't see any other episodes to listen to. You're not seeing any extra comments on your page. And to me, that is a worthless number. Like, sure, you can go to your board and say you had 10,000 downloads, but it didn't mean anything. You know, the thing that I look at before we even promote a podcast is your retention rate. So if we're retaining people for over 60, 70%, then we're doing a pretty good job. So that means we're just not promoting it right. So that's a number that I look at more than anything. And also knowing like your audience needs to be really keyed into a persona. You know, this is the person we're trying to reach. Jane, who does IT, who was 30 years old and like, blah, 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 like, you know, having all that done so that they understand, like, we're not worried about the masses. We're worried about Jane. And we want like, uh, I'd rather have a hundred Janes than 10,000 whoever's. Um, so I think that people get caught up in that download number. Um, so retention rate is a big one, but then also just like, you know, again, it's also when I talk to somebody who's telling me how many downloads they have on their podcast, I'll look at their social media. And when they post, guess what? Nobody comments on it. You're telling me you have 10,000 active listeners and nobody posts on anything or follows you on social media, then you're not building a community. And that's what we do. And it's really community building. And I don't think a lot of companies have the patience for that or the ability to manage, you know, the, the other aspects of podcasting, which are social media, uh, you know, SEO targeting, which is, you know, something that we're really focused on. And I've seen you know, the one thing that, that really helps with getting new listeners is your SEO being sharp and then following those trends and saying, okay, well, we're making good progress. People are listening. They're, they're joining our community instead of, I got 10,000 downloads. I got a hundred reviews that I paid for. I hate all those little tools that are just honestly, they don't help our industry at all. Like they hurt our industry.
Yeah. Yeah. And I almost feel that it's it's a quite unfair expectation. I know you're a former radio guy, right? People don't ask that same thing of radio or magazines or or literally any other medium. I mean, look at radio, this. they use a, a meter that, first of all, you have to be somebody that answers your phone and says you'll carry one around. Who's that person? Second of all, they have like 1,400 meters for 7 million people. And yet radio goes out and says, we have a million listeners. How do you know that? You don't know that. That's not true. I can show you how many listeners I have and how long they listen. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you're exactly right. But at the same time, it's because it's a new medium and people are looking to make sure that they're getting their bang for their buck. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I'm... I always sound like a Baptist street preacher saying that if you're a brand, you need to have a podcast. So that I think that goes without saying. Let's but hear I, it I from wanna... the back. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up so in the we'll, South. <laughs> we'll continue to push the envelope and get brands on board because I, I don't feel like it's ever too late. To your earlier point, we're not looking for you know going wide. We're looking to go deep and to build community. Let's talk shop for a second. What mics do you use? What boards do you love? What's some of the tech behind the shows that you run? Well, the Sure SM57 is is the mic that we send to everybody, our host. There's a nice little road mic that we send to guests. It's like, I, I don't know, but it's like $69. But when we're doing branded, we kind of incorporate that cost. So the guests get a mic and then they just keep it because shipping it back and forth costs just as much. And I think it's really important to get good sound. And often people forget the guests. And they're like, okay, well, come on to this link. And then they come on and they're they're off on here or they're talking onto their phone thing. And, you know, that will kill the quality of a podcast and kill your listening. So having those good mics to send a guest is important to me. I had the road, the board that we'll use if we're doing remote stuff. But mm-hmm. um, right now I'm talking through a Vocaster 2. Okay. Um, Vocaster, I spoke somewhere and I got one of these and I love it. It's all I need. I got two mic plugins. It's really simple. <laughs> And easy to use. And that's the good thing about podcasting. And, you know, we go do remotes, you know, believe it or not, I use like a Shure SM57, like those mics, you have to get in on them and, yep. you know, it makes guests talk like that and doesn't get the, out, the outside noise. I've got some of those mics I've had for 15 years and they were just dented to crap, but they still work fine. Yeah. But yeah, for the most part that, and then, you know, Riverside has been the one thing we always use for interviews. I know there's a lot of other great platforms, but having started on Skype, that's how we first had to do these things with Skype yeah. and then Zencaster and then Riverside and then Riverside was a great, went back to Zencaster and then Riverside got better, went back to Riverside. And then Riverside now is really just integrated a lot of tools to make it easier to do clips and things like that. I tell clients a lot of the time, I prefer we don't do in person because Mm. I can get better sound. I have more control. People know how to pass the ball better when they're on this because they're used to doing it now. And it just easier. And it ends with a good product because we do video and audio and social media clips for every client we have. So those are kind of the major tools that we use as far as like distribution for branded. I've always used Simplecast. I've known those guys since they started, but for our, podcasts that we want to make money on, we use Megaphone because we get a really nice payout as far as like, you know, programmatic ads go. And that's super important for us on that side. Got it. So many questions. You mentioned you prefer virtual over in-person. Dig, dig deeper there a little bit. I, I heard you say that it's easier to control. And are those the, the only reason I, I found people say the opposite, that in-person is better than virtual. So that's a, a unique take. So 
here's the reason why in person takes so much time and energy for everybody. Yeah. Somebody's got to go somewhere. Somebody's got to be there on time. Somebody's got to be on site recording. You have to have multiple cameras. I mean, it's tough where mm. on virtual, I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. True. Yeah. Um, interaction wise. Yeah. I think we have better interactions when we're in person, but for somebody who's an unskilled interviewer, Mm-hmm. It can end up getting a little more all over the place and talking over each other. You know, if there's a producer on site, like, you know, I go on site when I do stuff and I treat them just as I have my talent since I was 18. You know, I cue card them. I tell them to rap. I do all, you know, they know all that stuff. I think there's merits to both. Mm-hmm. But I think if you're trying to crank out, you know, a podcast a week or, you know, you're, you've got eight weeks to produce a 10 podcast series which often is the case, you know, we get these crazy deadlines. Virtual is just so much easier to use. And I have my oldest host, Donnie Brasco, Joe Pistone. Uh, you know, he's 86. He's got this stuff down. So, you know, I always tell people, Joe can get it down and, you know, anybody can. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious to know the structure of Jam Street. Is it for production? Do you guys do mostly branded shows? I heard you say you're start, sort of moving away from that. How is uh, Jam Street structured and what do you guys focus on? That's a good question. We had merged with a company to do branded for a year that I ended up not being happy and went back to, I, I got to keep my brand. Like we had just done a, a kind of a higher acquisition. And I found that there was a lot of people reaching out for me for consulting. So I do a lot of consulting for tech companies who are getting into the space for networks, for people who just want to, you know, make their shows better. And the other thing that we really focus on right now are pilots. We do pilots for celebrities, athletes, you know, different folks that uh, like, you know, an agent will call and say, you know, they know, I know how to structure a show because a lot of people that come in with the same ideas and, and it's getting harder to pitch a show and get it picked up. So they hire us. We do the the first episode, the first episode on video. We do a deck for them, a pitch deck, all that stuff, all in one place. And that's where our biggest business has been lately. I'm shifting focus a little bit. Uh, we'll be launching Poddle in the next hopefully month and a half. And uh, Poddle will be uh, a place for podcasters to leave reviews for every podcast service that's out there. And I'm going to be telling people, leave the bad ones. Like people need to know when things don't work. And it's also going to be uh, a gig site. So it's kind of a fiber, but manageable. Trying to sell your services on Fiverr is really hard. There's a lot of stuff out there. So this will be focused on professional podcasters only, you know, and the hope is that I want more people to make money from podcasting. I'm tired of the podcast industry, companies coming in and promising people all this, oh, you're going to make money. You're going to sell a book. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. And it's like, dude, you don't even listen to their content first and tell them that. That's what kills me. It's like, you know, not everybody's good. You can't promise that stuff if it's not good. We're hoping to make it a real third-party app because right now there's really no place to get good advice about what to use other than going to a forum because any place else has got sponsors paying them. And we're not taking sponsor money to do anything on the app until eventually it'll be like a Yelp. There'll be sponsored posts, but we're going to make sure everything's very, you know, as as third-party as we can make it. Cool. I'm looking forward to that. Where are you guys in terms of getting that out to the world? So my partner, Dante Bernie, who, by the way, is a former student of mine and pushed him into coding. He was in art school with, you know, he's in my podcasting classes. He was already coding and he's 
gone on to do some great things. I put a post up that it would be neat to have a Yelp for podcasting. And he's like, hey, I can build that. Uh, and that's how we started in June. We decided to build it all ourselves and then take it out to market. And so I'm learning a lot about, you know, I thought I knew a little bit about tech, but, you know, I'm really learning about like all the things go into building a marketplace and a chat and all these things you want to have on it. Mm -hmm. We've got the MVP. In fact, I just got a text from my CTO. 14 days and 16 hours is when we should have uh, our stuff ready to build out the MVP. So there you go. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Cool. One, one other question for you, Maddie. How has your business model evolved over the years? And do you guys have a studio that you rent out or do you focus mostly on the consulting side of the business? No, I mean, I have a studio in LA that I use. A friend of mine, he does branded for uh, some big big companies and they have a very nice studio. He like built in his apartment, big giant, like round table, all this stuff. So we have that because I've got one podcast that I'm doing a, a pilot for, which I would love to tell you about, but I can't yet, but it just involves some actors from a, a, a let me just say some actors from an HBO show that took place in Baltimore. And we're going to do that one in person. So we'll use the studio for that. And then I have another show that I do called Sloan Knows. Sloan's 15 and she interviews NBA players and she's awesome. She's probably the best talent I've ever worked with. And we do all of those on site. So we go to the NBA players' houses and set up there and do them. And, and that's, that's fun. Don't get me wrong. I love doing it in person. I miss it. I miss doing live radio, to be honest with you. But, you know, for a lot of stuff, it's just not convenient. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you guys do production as well, ongoing, like on a monthly retainer? So we have all the pilot stuff. That takes up a lot of our time, but we have Slow Nose. Donnie Brasco is kind of not in production now. And then we're about to launch the last season of Appalachian Mysteria, which is our true crime show. And we've got one other show, A Life Story, that is in production and will come out. I have one producer, Quinn Greenhouse, who does amazing work. So she does most of our work, but we have other contractors that we use. I mean, having people full time is just not feasible. And as a lot of companies are finding that out now, and I think that's why this gig economy for podcasting, because listen, most of us don't make our money from our podcasts. We make money working on other people's podcasts. So that's kind of the whole deal. And I think that the key to that is just finding good, reliable people to work with and putting the right people in the right projects. So. Mm -hmm. You know, this one podcast I have is going to be focused on one one group and something's focused on another group. So finding somebody like, you know, if I'm doing sports, I, I try to find somebody that likes, you know, understand sports, if they're going to work on it. And, you know, the same thing. Some of them are a little easier interview podcasts, things like that. But yeah, we, we kind of just uh, take it as we get it. I don't claim to know anything about business. Uh, I, I've learned as I've went. I've learned the hard way pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. do a whole presentation on here's what not to do because this is what I did and it was wrong. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the thing I love most about business is that there generally are no right or wrong answers. There's generally what works best for that situation for you, given what you have at that time. So it was really cool because you iterate, you learn and you grow and you figure out what things you want to do and what things you don't want to do. And then you build the business around that. So it's cool. Before I let you go, any advice, recommendations to folks who are listening to this, they're thinking about starting a podcast for their company, for their business, but they are either overwhelmed or they don't know where to start. How can we help move them over the line? Well, I think the key is to talk to some folks who do this for a living. That's first. And I can't tell you how many times I hear 
you know, we were talking over drinks and we think this is a great idea. First of all, whenever anybody's talking over drinks, it's usually not a great idea. It's usually a great idea at the time and it gets better the more you drink. But, you know, talk to professionals. There's some companies like yours and, and you know, there's lots of companies out there who do this. Let a professional tell you what will work for your company. I use data for everything. I always tell people your friends will lie to you, but metrics never do. So it's like with content length, you know, when people are like, oh, I want to do like an hour and a half. I'm like, no, you don't. You want to do about <laughs> 35 minutes. And let me show you why. Here's the boom. Here's the numbers. Here's this. This is how you should do it. But my mm -hmm. friends think it should be longer. Well, your friends don't matter. You know, the people that reach out to you don't matter. They're, you already got them. Of course, they want more. But a new listener is who you always have to focus in on. Have a plan for the season. Make sure that you you know what your message is. You know, and I think that's key, too. And I've talked to companies and I'm like, well, who's your target demo? Who's your persona? And they don't have one. I'm like, how do you not have, how are you doing any marketing without that? So, you know, knowing like who your audience is, what they want to hear, not what you want to tell them, but what they want to hear. I think that's the key. I always keep pictures up of my personas to remind myself, this is for Bob. This is not for me. I want to do this. But Bob does not like this. Yeah. So I think that's a big key is, is understanding, you know, and then also just understanding, you know, all the things you're going to get out of this, you know, that you're going to get blog posts, you're going to get articles, you're going to get video, you're going to get social media, you're going to get YouTube shorts, you're going to get TikToks. I mean, all of that could be done with one podcast. And, and I don't think most companies understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Last question, I promise. Seasonal versus ongoing, which is better? Well, I think for a company, I always tell them to start with a season and to cadence it every two weeks because, you know, when we, we need to make advertising money, that's why we do weekly. Every two weeks is a fine cadence. It gives you plenty of time to promote your podcast between them. Before you would commit to doing it ongoing, do a season of 10 or 12. Get the feel for it. Look at the numbers see what you did right, see what you did wrong, and then make that decision to move on. And most companies, you know, I think when I was, you know, with Amaze, we had a 90% retention rate because we did a good job. They saw what we did and they really liked it and they kept going. But, you know, I think so many people jump in and they want to do a weekly right away. And I'm like, man, you just don't understand how much work that is. Yeah. And you got to keep yeah. feeding that, you, you know, you got to keep feeding that furnace, man, with gas mm -hmm. and prep mm -hmm. and everything. And it's, it's not easy. So yeah. I, I always say seasonal and do the first four before you launch. And that's always my advice. But ongoing is the way to go. If, again, if it's a subject that you know you can keep doing. This is one of the reasons why people will hire us to do pilots is because it's like when I worked in New York, I did a, a sports comedy morning show. And we had a couple few professional athletes who wanted to try out and be on the show. I'd make them try out for a month before we talk to them about a job because usually at the end of the month, they'd be like, Dan, this is a job. I got to get up every day at 4.30. I'm like, yes, you have to get up every day at 4.30. And they were out. And it's the same thing. Sometimes you walk into the ocean a little more slowly before you jump in. So kind of the same advice. Got it. People want to reach out to you, learn more about what you do, about Jam Street Media and, and or just to say hi. How can they do that? I'm very active on LinkedIn. So at Maddie Stout and my last name is spelled S-T-A-U-D-T. -T. I'm sure it'll be on something here anyway. And that's also for all my social media. And then you can go to jamstreetmedia.com. But always just reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm one of those folks that, uh, as you know, you reach out, I get back to you. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate that. It's been so cool talking with you, especially somebody of your caliber that has been in the industry for so long and that cares about the industry. I, I can't stress enough how important that is to me to really meet with other people. And that I really do care about podcasts. I really do. And I hope like more people join, you know, I'm on the board of governors of the podcast Academy, you know, people will join that. And I take ownership in this thing. It means so much to me. And this is why I get so adamant about people, bad players to come into the space and people promising things and all of these other mm -hmm. things. It's just like, it just, anything that hurts our space hurts me personally. That's how yeah, yeah. I take it that personally, which I probably shouldn't, but no, uh, no, I do, I agree. it does mean yeah. a lot to me. Yeah, I agree. I think we have to have folks like us to maintain the integrity of the industry. Because again, as I told you before we hit record, podcasting changed my life. I want to pay that forward and maintain this, this beautiful industry. Well, it was great talking to you and, and thank you. This is fun. Cool. I appreciate your time and we'll talk soon. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us on this edition of Podcast My Brand. If you got value from the show, join our email list for show updates and exclusive tips on building trust, growing influence and increasing authority with your podcast brand. Thanks again. And we'll talk with you next time.